Are you bewildered or perplexed about what is happening in Israel and the Middle East? You know, it's not an issue that's going to disappear. You may feel that this is of no interest to you in Europe or in the Americas or wherever you live, but as you'll see, it is an issue that all believers need to understand, for it affects all of our lives. You may have strong feelings about the current missile launches from Gaza and the military response from Israel. And you may have strong sympathies for those who are suffering on either side of the Jewish-Palestinian divide. It is indeed tragic when people suffer unnecessarily. But what we need to do is go deeper and to see not just what is happening, but why it is happening. You may have already made up your mind on this issue, perhaps through careful research or because of keeping a casual ear to what the news sources are saying. But I would ask you to not come to the table with a set of preconceptions, but with an open mind. As the book of Proverbs says, the first to present a case seems right until another comes forward and questions him. I'm keen to give you a prophetic insight into what has been happening in Israel since its inception. In order for you to understand what is happening, you're going to need to have a grasp on what has happened in the past. And then you'll be able to see how biblical prophecies are likely to play out in the Holy Land in the future. And as you'll see, if you're on the right side of this issue, it will be good for you. So let's have a quick jump into Israel's history. In the biblical account, we are first introduced to the land that is now called Israel in the story of Abraham, who was called out of his father's house in Ur of the Chaldeans to a land that he knew not, according to Hebrews 11 and 8. So right from the outset, the Lord clearly shows us that this is a land and a place that has been specially chosen by him to be used for his divine purposes. Indeed, it is here that the move of God is centered for millennia. Running from north to south in the country is a ridgeway, the highest point of which is Mount Moriah, the place to which Abraham traveled to sacrifice his son Isaac to the Lord, and where the angel of the Lord stayed his hand and provided a ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's stead, giving mankind a first real glimpse into the coming substitution of God's own Son on our behalf. And it was through this family that God chose to bring forth the Messiah, and therefore he determined that they should have their own land. The name Israel, meaning Prince of God or Prince with God, was first given to Jacob as he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. And so it's here where the patriarchs settled until the move of God shifted to Egypt when Joseph was abducted and later appointed to Pharaoh's court in Egypt. But it was too here that Moses was instructed to lead the captive Israelites after 400 years of first settlement and later slavery in Egypt. And when Joshua took the lead, he crossed over the Jordan River from the east destroyed the Canaanite city of Jericho, giving the people access to the land flowing in milk and honey. And so here, the 12 tribes of Israel settled. 
by pushing back the local idol-worshipping and child-sacrificing peoples and taking possession of the land that had been promised to them. It was David, the valiant king, who finally cleared the land, secured the borders of Israel from the foreign intruders, and established Jerusalem as its capital, bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city with the desire to build a house for the Lord's presence to dwell in. His son Solomon was given this task by God, and the most glorious temple that the world had ever seen was built to the praise and honor of the God of Israel. God's blessing was upon the land so that it prospered and under Solomon's wise leadership became the richest kingdom of ancient days with both master and servant enjoying bountiful produce of the land. These indeed were the glory days of Israel. However, just as the Lord had promised blessings upon his people for their obedience, he'd also warned them of curses for their disobedience as written in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. As the children of Israel prostituted themselves with the Canaanite gods such as Baal, the god of fertility and prostitution, God removed his hand of blessing and allowed Israel's enemies to punish them. This was a way that he could call them back to himself. But despite the calls of many judges and prophets that were raised up over the subsequent centuries, Israel for the most part fell away from serving the one true living God and thereby suffered terribly as a consequence. The kingdom was split into two parts until the days of Jeroboam, uh, Solomon's unwise son. The northern kingdom of Israel was carried away into captivity by the Assyrians in 740 BC, and the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered and carried away by the Babylonians in 598 BC, who in the process destroyed Solomon's temple and left the city in ruins. For 70 long years, the people sat down at the side of the river of Babylon and wept as they remembered Zion, according to the famous Psalm 138. However, the Lord heard their cries and delivered them once again, and they returned to their own land, where, under the guidance of Nehemiah, uh, the pearl of Israel, Jerusalem, whose walls had been destroyed and whose gates had been burned, it was rebuilt to its former splendor. Nevertheless, despite a religious formality, the Israelite people returned to worship God really with their lips only and not with their hearts, and they turned away from the Lord yet again. This was a dark period for Israel, for there was no prophet in Israel and no word of the Lord, not because of the Lord and him not being able or willing to speak, but because the people had become dull of hearing. Had conquered and destroyed again and again by foreign armies, the Persians, the Greeks. And when Jesus, God's son, was born, the country was firmly under the control of the Romans, as you'll remember. Now, time doesn't allow for me to tell of all the wonderful works that were done here during the 33 years of Christ's life. Suffice to say that his, his focus was first and foremost to the lost sheep of Israel, according to Matthew 15 and 24. He was brought up in the beautiful northern region of Galilee, and it is here on the hills above Capernaum that he taught the great treaties of the kingdom of God that we now know as the Beatitudes. And again, it was here on Lake Genesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, that he walked upon the water and taught his disciples to be fishers of men. 
to Jerusalem, he would go to celebrate the feasts of Israel, culminating in his final Passover, which he himself gave his life as a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world, in the same place where Abraham had offered Isaac 2,000 years before. Yet Christ, the cornerstone of the kingdom of God and of all true civilization, was rejected by the religious and political authorities of the day. It was with tears that Jesus had lamented over Jerusalem, as a mother desires to protect her children and a hen desires to gather her chicks under her wings. For he knew of the coming destruction and, the, and foretold that the second temple would be destroyed with not one stone remaining upon another, as in Matthew 24 and 2. And that came to pass in AD 70. After a three-year revolt against the Romans, General Titus was given the command of Caesar to retake control of the city of Jerusalem. And historians tell us that he did not want or desire to destroy the city and least of all the temple. But because of stubborn resistance by the rebels, he was forced to burn the city down, fulfilling the prophecies of God. Over one million people were killed and a further 100,000 taken captives. And from this time forward, the Jews were driven out of Jerusalem and out of the land of Israel. You see, despite Israel's disobedience, the Lord had always kept for himself a faithful remnant. We need to remember this, for indeed, through Israel, not only had come the law and the prophets, but now also the apostles of the church who laid the foundations of the church for both Jew and Gentile. Jesus' first followers were called Christians in Antioch and were dispersed throughout the world, spearheaded by the indefatigable Apostle Paul. And these faithful, self-sacrificing servants of the Lord began to build God's hidden, hidden kingdom in the hearts of men whilst Rome languished in its luxury and decadence. The move of God primarily headed to Europe in those days with Paul's Macedonian call and subsequent establishment of churches in major cities such as Corinth, Ephesus and Rome. And this extraordinary scattering or migration of Jews to Europe and North Africa is called the Diaspora. The Israelites settled in these new countries and added ritually to the local societies, but constantly prayed to return to Jerusalem and return to Israel over the centuries. And a common greeting between Jews was and is still, see you next year in Jerusalem. For the next 300 years, Israel remained under Roman and Byzantine control until it fell in AD 636 to the Arabs who built the Dome of the Rock in the grounds of the destroyed Jewish temple. In 1099, the Crusaders from Europe came to capture the Holy Land, massacring the non-Christian population. However, the Arabs recaptured Jerusalem after 200 years and the region became part of the Ottoman Empire, initially under the rule of Sultan Solomon the Magnificent. And then, fast forwarding to 1917, the British under General Allenby liberated Israel from the Ottomans during the First World War and under the Balfour Declaration recognized the rights of the Jewish people to establish a national home in Palestine. However, later the British broke their promise and under the Palestine Mandate split the area into two, 
Israel on the one hand with approximately one third of the promised area and Jordan was given to the Arabs. And in the first, first half of the 20th century, there were two major waves of immigration of Jews back to Israel and the rise of the Zionist movement. These Jews were often subjugated to terrible violence at the hands of local Arabs as they arrived. And Britain, in an attempt to keep peace and appease the Arabs, tragically implemented, implemented what was called the White Paper Policy, which limited the amount of returning Jews to only 10,000 per year. And this contributed, unfortunately, to the terrors of the Holocaust, in which six million Jews were systematically destroyed in gas chambers by the Nazis in World War II. Nonetheless, in 1948, under the leadership of David Ben-Gurion, independence was offered to Israel by the United Nations. And whilst the Arabs rejected it, the Jews signed the offer and Israel became a nation, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 66 and 8. And it says there, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. The very next day, war broke out, and so started the first of four recent wars initiated by surrounding Arab states who wanted to destroy Israel. However, in all of these, the War of Independence, the Sinai War, the Six-Day War, and the War of Yom Kippur, Israel defended itself against far superior forces and drove their enemies back and captured new territories each time, which they later traded for peace. Yet even today, the destruction of Israel is either stated in the Constitution or high on the agenda of a number of the surrounding Arab states. And so looking to the present now, despite these birth pains, Israel has emerged as a prosperous, civilized democracy. A developed nation with a first world infrastructure, economy and legal system. This is extraordinary as the nation is only 70 years of age compared to say the ancient civilization of Egypt which is more than 3,000 years old and yet remains economically and politically unstable. It is already 16th in the world's human development index which measures life expectancy and education as well as other things. It's well-kept and clean. Local Israelis volunteer to clean and rebuild the ancient cities and take pride in placing stones upon the ancient walls. The national pride there is phenomenal. Every single member of the society wants to help make the place better and cleaner. And whilst much economic wealth comes through the burgeoning high-tech industries such as Intel, even the land itself has now become highly productive through a combination of modern irrigation techniques and a strange, not supernatural phenomenon of increased annual precipitation. In short, no nation has managed to successfully work this land for 2,000 years until now. Every nation that took a hold of that land couldn't make it prosperous and couldn't make a profit out of it. It remained a desert, but now that it's back in the hands of the Jews, it's suddenly become an economic powerhouse. You know, many of the 
Nobel Peace Prize winners over recent years have been Jews for their achievements in physics, chemistry, physiology, physiolo physiology or medicine, literature and peace. Nobel Prizes have been awarded to over 800 individuals of whom at least 20% were Jews, although Jews comprise of less than 0.2% of the world's population. It seems there's something special upon that people. And this brings me on to some major themes that I would now like to share with you to give you not just man's story with regard to Israel, but God's story. After all, all history is really his story.